customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. That podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear those co-hosts shout him. It's Dana and Jay. All right, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Welcome in to the Growler. And I know when you think about things that you're thankful for in this year, you're just, you know, family. Friends, delicious food on the table, Bengals, Giants. It's just, that's it. That's what Thanksgiving is all about, is being grateful for what we have in our lives. And that's why we're here for you today. I'm Paul Andrew Jr. with Jay Morrison, Bengals, Giants. It's, it's final. It's here. And it's, it's, it, I mean, it's bigger than I thought it would be. I would hope that Paul and Jay would be on that list that, that people are thankful for as well. <laughs> We've gotten people through some tough times, and uh, there will be more. We've got we've got the dark winter still in front of us in many different respects. Oh, it's here! <laughs> it's it's here! It's dark, uh, but we're powering through. We've got some stuff to get to uh, on that on those uh, lines of thought. Powering through, dark. I've got I have good news. Uh, people have asked me about this. Uh, in the past, oh, is 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 that deal ever going to come back? I missed it. Well, guess what, people? Happy Thanksgiving, Happy Black Friday. Get to it this weekend, starting Friday. One dollar per month for the next twelve months. Black Friday deal coming to you. Just go to theathletic.com/slash hear that podcast growling, and you can have that deal. So hop on now. Hop on board, and you can get all our coverage. Through. Hey, through the draft, times when you'll feel better about life. Promise to be ahead, uh, and much, 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 much more. Uh, you so can what- you can buy this for every sports fan on your list, and mm-hmm. it will cost you twelve dollars. But they will think you spent way more because the athletic is worth so much more. You can you can really get some brownie points here. This is true. You're you're always see. You're a good salesman, Jay. You might have just closed the deal right there. That's right. Um, all right. Plenty to get to in today's podcast in the Growler. Um, in advance, want to thank our guy in New York on the Giants beat, Dan Duggan, uh, who is going to give us some insight on all things New York Giants and Daniel Jones and Joe Judge and allegedly fighting coaches. All kinds of fun stuff in New York. Uh, but until then, we've got our own fun to talk to. We're going to talk a little about culture. Everybody likes to talk about culture right now, so we're going to do that. You're going to hear from Giovanni Bernard. We're going to talk about what's really exciting, and that's the Brandon Allen-Ryan Finley debate as Brandon Allen set to take over for the Bengals as a starting quarterback. You might be stunned to hear this, but Jay's got some stats on that, and some of them will make you sad. I had a, a we had a follower who said there should be a regular segment of Jay's sad stats, and my thought was, is there any other kind? Yeah. What, have, have there been other stats? I mean, it's mostly sad. 
I mean, I can only do so much with the data. I can't make things up. I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, we have a fun growler bet for you that is uh, a type that we haven't done here, although it's one that I particularly enjoy, and a fun run passer boot that we will also get to. Uh, right, let's dig in. Let's talk a little bit about culture. Um, so a story uh, piece came out in SI by Elise Jesse uh, that discussed with the headline, you know, toxic culture and uh, players unhappy with coaches and abusive language and all kinds of stuff. Um, basically saying culture's awful uh, and people aren't happy. And, uh, you know, read the story for yourself. Um I, two things about this I want to start with because people have continually asked uh, our opinions on this and what we think, what we heard. I have a couple of thoughts. The one, the one first and foremost being I am uncomfortable discussing other people's reporting in particular if it's not something that I am refuting directly. And this is all very general that it's not exactly – you know, it's not like reporting somebody signed when that's not the case or whatever. So I, I'm just uncomfortable talking about that. So I don't, I don't, I'm not going to get into the specifics of the story or the reporting involved in it. That is, um, I have a lot of respect for Elise uh, on many levels, and uh, I, I have no desire to get into that. And I would, I would hope that no one would do that with my work either. Um, but people are asking about culture. It is the story of the day. What is the culture like right now? Are things terrible? Are they blowing up? I'll say what my opinion on this is. Yeah, I bet it is bad. Yes, it is bad. Yeah, peop, they're losing. They're 421 and one. You have a regime that has tried to move on, but on, you know, by the way they've done it, you have a lot of pieces of the old that have been cast to the background by the new coaching staff and nobody's happy about it. And when you're losing, no one's happy about that. And it, it comes out when you feel like you're not being used on top of all the losing that's happening. And when all that happens, people get mad. Things go sideways. People don't like it. If, if, if our boss, Dave Ninimitz told me right now, Paul, I think I'm moving you to intramural kickball beat. And I think that, I'm kind of just tired of your Bengals coverage. I don't think you've got it anymore. I'm going to tell Dave you're a moron. Hope he clips that. Clip that, yes. Yeah, clip that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't think you have a clue what you're doing, and I don't like it, and I can't wait to get out of here. Now, that is a <laughs> exaggerated version of what we're discussing here, but I fully expect that there is – dissension in certain parts of the locker room, unhappiness with coaches, unhappiness with everything, because that's what happens when teams are 421 and one. To me, that's what I expect the culture to look like right now. Well, yeah, but even there's going to be players that are disgruntled, even if, if the record's not that bad. There's always, if, if a team's really good, you've got guys that think they should be playing and aren't playing, and there's there's going to be a little bit of friction between that player and the player in front of him, the player and his position coach that, that's not playing him. I mean, it's just, it's every, every locker room, every team everywhere, that goes on. The, the question is, is how all-encompassing is it? Is it, is it just a just a a shit show for a lack of a better term in there or is it a couple bad apples um a couple people with axes to grind and it it feels like the latter there there've been there've been too many instances where where players have either responded to questions or brought this up unprovoked about the the job that Zach is doing how how the 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 culture is is positive in many regards and and so i just i don't see it as just this this horribly gone wrong situation it is there are it is bad because of the losing like you said but as far as 
the disconnect between the coaches and the players and the players and other players, uh, that would surprise me because there's just been, there's been too many instances otherwise that have been brought up by players. Um, like I said, sometimes unprovoked, sometimes it's just thrown out there in zoom calls where it's mentioned without them even being asked about it. And, you know, the one person that has talked about it unprovoked and repeatedly uh, and pretty impassioned is Joe Burrow. And if there's one thing I do know about this team in certainty in a year that you really can't be certain about anything you're reporting about what's happening inside of a locker room, because we're not in there, not allowed to be in there, is that Joe Burrow owns this locker room. He has ownership over the team because every single soul that we talk to tells us that, and you see it, and believe it, and the fact of what has happened and the deflation that this entire organization and team has felt since he went down proves it as well. And he's not really hid how much he believes in this staff. I mean, he doesn't have to say the stuff the way he has said it. So to me, as many waves as you know, the USS Bengals may be enduring right now. As long as Joe Burrow's at the helm believing in the direction of the ship, it'll be fine to get through the storm. You know, some people might get tossed overboard and you might change some things that way. I'm really going hard on this analogy. But, you know, you, but you, as long as Joe Burrow is on board with the direction and the staff, at the very least, the head coach, um, people will follow. And he is the one that sets the tone, and that's pretty much been established. Him and the leadership group, right, that I think has been sort of established. And when you have that, I think you just – you ride that. That's your direction. And the other stuff that comes along with it of people being mad and frustrated amidst losing and and maybe having problems with coaches. And maybe, you know, look, we can talk about Luana Rumo. We have on here, I mean, I don't, you know, (laughs) it ain't, that job isn't safe. Someone's going to be a fall guy for this year. And when you talk about underperforming unit, you talk about, uh, you know, there's no way the front office likes what's happened, what happened with Carlos Dunlap and some of the other stars around here, just dissension that's happened on the defensive side of the ball in that regard. Yeah, I mean, certainly he falls into the crosshairs, um, but that was the case before any of this talk that's gone on. I mean, he's had two years now. They put a lot of money into it, even though not all those guys have played because of injury. But certainly you could see coaches that come in the crosshairs here. But, you know, as far as toxic culture, um, I think – it's hard to say anything for certain, and that doesn't mean it's what's being said is right or wrong. It's when you're not in there to really get nuance, to really get sense of stuff, read the room, see things people say, looks people give, shots people take at a coach on the side, you know, we don't have all that stuff. It's really, really hard to do total unequivocal depth and nuance of reporting and understanding it just is and that's again you can still do very good reporting and have legit and enough legs to stand on but it's hard to do that from my perspective so people ask my opinion to to say unequivocally for me that because it's without the nuance with without being in there all the time it's much harder much much harder to really pull out a real sense of exactly how pervasive it is yeah, and not just the locker room, it's practice. You know, we when we are at practice, you are so far away, and, and especially in training camp, that was before everything went south. But those things you mentioned, you, you hear little side conversations, uh, little comments, um, and none of that. We don't have access to any of that this year. So it just it just makes it that much tougher to, to really get a sense. But like I mentioned, the – the, the unprovoked comments, uh, it, I think he's been on twice um, since Carlos was traded. But Sam Hubbard a couple times has 
said some sort of maybe not so veiled things about the importance of, of practicing hard and giving effort at all times and doing the right thing. And he has said that in a manner of this is how, this is what we need to do. But it was, it, it was, I don't, I don't want to say clear, but I took it as kind of a, a shot at Carlos. I, I, I think, I think maybe some players are, you know, thinking about this twice when they see Carlos go to Seattle and play as well as he's playing, but they, they saw the, the effort in games and in practices. And it, I, I don't, that, that was a really unfortunate thing and it was a bad look, but I don't think it's something that's fractured this locker room. I, I think most players realize that that move had to be made. And even some of Carlos's own teammates calling him out at with some of his antics towards the end of that that whole situation um that, that that's where really you started seeing kind of people's first i mean joe's done it all along when we saw some other players really kind of standing up and taking zach's side on this yeah i mean the carlos situation is one and of itself and and to talk about the way that he has played and how well he's played there we said this go back check the tape i mean go way back i mean we we said he's gonna play good he's he's gonna feel change of scenery is gonna be great for him he's got he's gonna feel motivated he's gonna feel like he's got something to prove he's gonna go in the spot that's gonna want him there and that's gonna be great and it's exactly what's happened and and i'll you know that's not a surprise um it shouldn't take it's not like he wasn't playing why would it take going there to show effort and play hard and, and ha- get provide production with the way that you play? I mean, you know, talk about situation and all you want to. Rushing the passers, rushing the passer. Showing effort, showing effort. Going it for it is going for it. And if you chose to not do that until you left here, I don't know who that's an indictment on. All right, let's switch gears here. Uh, before we do, let's uh, hear a quick word from our sponsor. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to bring up Giovanni Bernard. Uh, this was asked the first person up on the Zoom on Wednesday, asked towards the end just about, hey, there's these reports about toxic culture. What do you think? What do you think about anonymous sources? And um, his answer was long. It was in-depth. It was, you know, kind of just speaking freely. And does this mean anything? I mean, no, again, it goes back to pervasive. What's pervasive? Which side is is the most is is a part of it. But this answer could have been three sentences to both questions. But this is what it was. Here's Giovanni Bernard on on the culture. It was, you know, brought to, you know, everybody's attention. Um it's just one of those things that's sad uh because one of the things is we don't have reporters, we don't have those individuals here in the locker room. Um, to hear and see the dysfunction because there is none. Um, I'm for myself. I've never seen that. Obviously, it's one of those things where you know people are going to try to do that. It is what it is. Um, but I pay no attention to it because I know the type of players that we do have in the soccer room. Yeah, people are frustrated. Every frustrated. We understand that. Uh, guys are pissed off, and if they're not pissed off, then that, that there's an issue there. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just how you work. To- um, and to, you know, alleviate that pissed offness. Um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that's sad. Um, guys are still going to go out there and fight. And it's not one of those things where you know, when we're on that field, guys slacking off, doing this, doing that. Guys are playing um, really tough. Guys are doing their job. It's just we just haven't really had 
the good fortune of uh, things turning our way. But, you know, uh, if you just keep building the blocks, you keep, you know, brick by brick, you just keep putting the things together. Uh, it's going to turn eventually. Um, but, you know, I have faith in the coaching staff. Uh, I have 100% faith in Coach Taylor. He's done an unbelievable job. I've had my conversations with him and um, to, you know, to have what's happened here throughout the two years that he's been here and to still uh, come here each and every single day with a smile, being a leader um, shows a lot to me and a lot of other players as well. So uh, it's just one of those things that people don't really speak about, but it should be known that, you know, the type of coach that he is, um, how he, you know, he cares for his players, uh, no matter what circumstances, no matter how many wins or losses we have, he's just a guy uh, that just comes in here each and every single day to, ready to work. How do players feel about anonymous sources in stories? Uh, I hope I'm not doing anything wrong by saying it's soft, but it is what it is. Um, you know, if you have an issue, just, you know, Coach Taylor's always been the type of guy, hey, if you have an issue, get, let's talk about it. Let's hash it out. Let's not bring all the outside noise, public, whatever it may be. Let's just handle this stuff inside this building. Um, and he's preached that since day one. There's all that's. That's been Coach Taylor's thing is to protect the team. And it's sad uh, to see that, um, you know, guys just don't take that approach. Um, yeah, I mean, it sucks. It's it's soft, but it is what it is. I just go out there and just do what I have to do. Um, I know my mindset. My mindset doesn't change no matter who's coaching, no matter who's playing quarterback, no matter who's up front on the offensive line, no matter who's my receiver, no matter who, up, who we're going up against that week. Uh, my mindset never changes ready to work i want to be that uh that difference maker for my team um and just you know put in the work and uh just keep building so that's giovanni bernard captain so i mean he's part of, i mean he's part of that leadership group he has been there's a reason they kept him around he's been i mean he's been the good soldier uh doer sayer of all the right things ultimate pro since day one i've been told that by about every coach and player i've come across in that building um so he's going to do and say the right things. That said, I mean, I just think um, it does in some ways speak volumes about where at least a certain core of the team's head is at as far as where the direction things are headed and how to act. Yeah, and it probably wasn't surprising. We, we're kind of at the mercy of Bengals PR, who they put on on a given day. And I don't think it was surprising that Gio, Gio Bernard and Von Bell were the two players and the only two players um, that we got to talk to today because they knew those guys were going to, were going to say the right things. And, and, you know, it, it wasn't going to turn into any sort of further controversy. And, and they did, they were, they, they were both open about what they feel the culture of this team is. That's, and that's what I talk about when we talk about nuance you are at the mercy. I mean, you can have all the connections you want to on the team, um, you know, and, and it's, I guess maybe this is inside baseball on covering a team. Y you know, you can have text relationships and you can call and you can have all of that and they can be great. And I have, you know, some that are great, some were good on with the old staff and players that are gone and come, whatever. You can have all of that. But, the the like walking out of the building together because you happen to be leaving at the same time talking to somebody the the just hanging around in the locker room and sitting and talking about basketball or whatever and then it turns into something else when that stuff goes on you get everyone you get more of a feel of everything you get you get more unfiltered statements and thoughts from people from a v much wider swath of everyone. And that's, just, that's what I hate about this year for, for fans, for reporters, for players that want the real stories told and that want the best stories told and for seeing things that are happening in the locker room, good or bad, you know, geo sort of, and I've heard other players talk about if you saw some of the things happen in this locker room you would understand and i think that can go both ways um but no, we just no one sees that and we all lose in that and that's part of this year and this year sucks and can't wait for it to end and all that stuff but that's that's part of this too is is that's so much a part of of where a lot of 
you can really get good judgment on this, not necessarily on who they decide to trot out knowing who Gio and Von Bell are. It'd be after the game in Washington when everyone's there, Lord knows saying whatever they want to, speaking their mind. I mean, how many times have we gone into a locker room with one story and then some dude pops off and we've got another one? Whether it be on a, after a game or during the week, that happens all the time because that's when you true colors, guys give no Fs anymore, and just they're like, whatever. Without that, you know, it's, it's, very, it's all very filtered down. It's especially after games because that's when the emotions are raw. You know, after a loss, uh, after a, an injury like that, that, that's, you're right. That's when you, that when guys could pop off. And it was interesting. You mentioned too that the, the text relationships with, with guys. I mean, you build that over time. And that's, that's another variable in this season is this is the, the roster overhaul this year or turnover has been huge. They, 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 sign more free agents than they've ever signed in franchise history. So those are guys that have come in that don't that none of us have ever met before. And then you've got the draft picks and then you got the other undrafted free agents that are in the in the practice squad. There's just so many people in that locker room that we have never talked to that are part of the core of the leadership at this point even. Yes. <laughs> and they they see our little square on Zoom and that's about it but they they they're, they're going to be much more measured uh on a Zoom call when they they don't know who all is on there than they are if you just you grab a guy off to the side in the locker room and really start building that rapport. Yep. All right, we'll we'll wrap that up there. Um and and kind of flip it forward cuz we got really other exciting news to talk about, Jay. <laughs> Can we talk about Brandon Allen and Ryan Finley? (laughs) Do we have to talk about the latter? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to, uh, I think it was Jeremy Beckham, uh, who's a follower, who who always drops for remembering the five comment from last year, (laughs) uh, which I pointed out at least, at least they ain't called him five yet, but they don't not even have a chance to. Maybe they'll talk about five being on the sidelines. Uh, But, and he will be. Brandon Allen is going to be the starting quarterback uh, who was kind of – basically, he was the veteran. When people ask for a veteran quarterback signing, he was basically it. He's started a few games, started three games for Denver, but he's been in this system before, was with the Rams. Uh, he was a sixth-round pick in 2016 by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, So they kind of viewed that as – you know, a guy they can go to who's who's played a little bit and knows knows things. Now, Ryan Finley's played three games and knows the system theoretically. He also was an absolute trash heap on Sunday. I mean, it, that's a tough spot to come into. Joe Burrow goes down, team's deflated, Washington's beating you, you're down a couple scores, but he was bad. And I don't know how you could have any confidence shipping that dude out there. So yeah, let's try something else because that didn't look like it was it. Um, so it looks like he's going to start on Sunday. You know, I, I would argue, I would be on the side of the argument that he gives you probably the best chance to win. At least the thought of somebody different does. Here's my thing with this, Jay. And I don't know what what was, what were they doing with Ryan Finley then? Like if, if, if you, you trade up for this dude and, and talk, talked up about how, you know what, that was just, there's still, I think he's still a good football player. And some of last year was just tough spot. And, you know, he's he's really getting better and I like what he's doing and I think he's a good guy. And then one half of really tough situational football and you're just like, nah, deuces, done with you. Uh, COVID quarterback is going to come in who hasn't even thrown passes except for like to DeMarcus Lodge an hour after practice or something. You know, it's like well, – <laughs> It's weird. Like, we're just casting this dude aside. I, not that I necessarily disagree. It's just like, well, then what were you doing for the last year and a half? Why? What were we? Bo- what were we bothering with him for the last year and a half? If that was the amount of uh, time you were willing to even give him, that's the well, only thing that doesn't connect for me. You know, it wasn't just one half. It, I mean, one half of game action. But if you remember back in in training camp, I mean, it was gonna it it 
they said it was, and it felt like it was early on an open competition for that backup job between Jake Dolagala and Ryan Finley. And it was, I mean, it, it was the lesser of two evils. It was neither one looked like they wanted that job. And, and basically it wasn't Finley winning it. It was Dolagala losing it. And there was really nothing that that impressed you about what Ryan Finley was able to do in training camp. And, and I just think there's, I talked about the, the overhaul of the roster, but there's still enough guys here from last year that, that know what Ryan Finley was in that three game stretch where he got to start. And it was, I mean, they forced Zach's hand. He had, he had no choice, but to go back to Andy Dalton, he, you couldn't look at that locker room in the eye and say, we're trying to win games and keep, Ryan Finley at quarterback so that even though it was a really hard situation to come into Sunday uh, just the way he played I think that it would it's the same situation it would be really hard for Zach to look at the the guys in that locker room and, and say we're trying to win games and and start Ryan Finley even though nobody really knows what Brandon Allen is because we I didn't see him throw a pass in training camp he like you said he he was a, he wasn't even going to be here he was uh they they Zach was adamant that they were not going to sign a third veteran quarterback and then the whole covid thing happened and they were like they realized we have to have a third guy that we have to kind of keep quarantined just in case the if one quarterback gets it he's probably going to give it to the other you have to have that emergency in place and that's why they signed Brandon Allen and now that was August 1st and here we are three and a half months later and he's going to be the starting quarterback <laughs> <laughs> so true. I mean, that's it. That's uh, that's that's where we're at. And I just, you know, at this point, we're not talking about Montana v. Young, okay? <laughs> we're. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what we're we're talking about exactly. This is Brandon Allen and Ryan Finley is not not a great thought. Jay, you got stats as we as we dip into this sad corner of the universe. Uh, what do you g- give me? You have some stats on uh, Bengals QB debuts. I do. I went back all the way. Every every quarterback that has made his Bengals debut, and Brandon Allen will be the thirtieth in franchise history to start at quarterback for the Bengals. And then I'm not counting 1987 when Adrian Breen and Dave Walter started during the replacement player era. These are. These are 30 guys that started. You're a hack, Morrison. You're a hack. (laughs) You're not going to include the Keanu Reeves. You you know what? What we talked about not being in the locker room. What I really miss right now is not being in the media room because I I would have posed this to Richard Skinner from Local 12. I would have said, (laughs) hey, there have been 30 starting quarterbacks in Bengals history. How many can you name? And I will bet you $20 he would have come up with every single one of them and there's a guy on the list i've never heard of before um so but i know i skinny would have been able to do it but here's what i did i looked at their completions attempts yards touchdowns interceptions yards per attempt passer rating and the result and that it's brandon allen doesn't have a lot of work to do to set some records (laughs) There, there there have not been many wow debuts for Bengals starting quarterbacks. So we'll start with the most important wins and losses. Um, Bengals quarterbacks in their starting debuts are eight and 21. Mm-hmm. The, the last two, um, AJ McCarron won his first game as a starting quarterback. That was after Andy broke his thumb and AJ p- didn't play very well, but they won at San Francisco. Andy mm-hmm. Dalton won his starting debut as Bengals quarterback was his rookie year in 11. He got hurt and he got hurt in that game. He only threw 15 passes and, mm-hmm. Bruce Gradkowski came in and threw the game-winning touchdown to A.J. Green. Um, the, the record for completions in a Bengals starting quarterback debut is 25. Uh, that's not out of the question with how often no. his team throws the ball. Uh, would you care to take a guess who – it's two guys own that record. Would you care to take a guess who it is? 25? Yeah. Um, hmm. Carson? No. Burrow? Nope. Joe, Joe Burrow had 23. He was Yeah, close. I was going to say, I knew he, he's in the 20s somewhere. Uh, who? Jeff Driscoll <laughs> and Achille Smith. <laughs> oh, man. Open it up for Achille. So, uh, Let Achille it, cook. 
Achille also owns the record for most attempts in a in a debut. That was forty two. That was the throat slash game in Cleveland, eighteen to seventeen. Oh, the throat, the dreaded throat slash game from Achille Smith. Okay, the record for yards by a Bengals quarterback in his starting debut, two hundred and ninety. Another oh, obs- not obscure name. Most Bengal fans older will know this, but not a guy you would expect to have the record. Any guess? Neil Tur- Donald. Turk Schonert. Turk Schonert. 1983 mm. in a 24 to 17 loss at Denver. Mm. Now the uh the record for touchdown passes is just two. And there there have been a bunch of guys that have done that. Um so that will there's there's six of them. So that's that's easily I mean I, I I would not think that would be a stretch. I think Brandon Allen can throw two touchdown passes Sunday. Uh, the record for interceptions is three by Donald Hollis and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzy. And then we go all the way back to game two of Bengal history in 1968 for the record for yards per attempt and passer rating. Greg Cook. No. John no. Stofa. Oh, Greg Stofa. Cook didn't come till 69. Oh, okay. So John Stofa had a 10.2 yards per attempt and 120.3 passer rating. They beat the Broncos 24 to 10 in the first ever game in Cincinnati at Nippert. So those those are the those are the numbers. I, I maybe not passer rating and yards per attempt. I wouldn't expect Brandon Allen, but touchdown passes, maybe yards, certainly completions and attempts. I think those are all in play. They are all in play. If you had to pick one of one number, which one would you which one would you pick to break the record? Mm, that's a good one because the the Giants don't have an explosive offense, so it's not like they're going to jump on the Bengals and then the Bengals are just going to be throw, throw, throw. I do think they're going to try to you know, mitigate the risk to Brandon Allen and run the ball. So I don't know if attempts would be it. May, I will go completions. I think 25 completions could be in play. He's going to throw a lot of short, quick passes. He completed 46% of his passes in his three games in Denver. <laughs> Very Finley-like. Very fitly. The two of them. Yeah, I believe actually I saw the la- I don't know what the time span was, but over the last however many years of all the players with at least 80 attempts, they're the only two under 50% completion <laughs> percentage. <laughs> uh, I'll say attempts. I'll, I'll say he wings it all over the lot and can't hit a broad side of a barn. Uh <laughs> Interceptions also in the back end of that. All right, let's move let's move forward. Jay, you got more set. That wasn't the sad stats. Those, you those have were kind of sad. You, yeah, but you have sadder stats. Yes. Uh, okay. Remember, remember la- I, I forget the number now, but remember last 42. year? 42. That's right. <laughs> there was a stretch where the Bengals went 42 second half possessions without a touchdown. Um, it's It's kind of back. Uh, although it's only third quarter. They've actually had some success in the fourth quarter. Um, they, they've scored four fourth-quarter touchdowns, two against Cleveland, two against Tennessee. But in the third quarter, 13 straight drives without a touchdown. They haven't scored a third-quarter touchdown since week four against Jacksonville. Wow. That's not great. That's not great. They, they it, Not only have they not scored a touchdown, they've only scored two field goals. They had a field goal at Indy and a field goal against Cleveland in the third quarter. Now, again, they have kind of righted things in the fourth quarter, but their third quarters have been abysmal this year. And the surprising thing is they've only scored 39 points in the third quarter. Uh, They're outscoring their opponents in the third quarter, 39 to 37. So for whatever reason, the defense has actually been pretty strong in the third quarter before absolutely falling apart in the fourth quarters. (laughs) They've given up. They've given up points in every single fourth quarter this year. They've given up ninety six points total. They've given up double digit points in five of the games this year in the fourth quarter. Sad, 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 sad. sad. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, all right. Um, Someone who's also used to seeing sad football would be uh, Dan Duggan, who uh, covers the Giants and has been watching them play in the NFC East. Uh, so, Jay, you talked to him to give us a little bit of insight of what's going on with New York as they come in here, led by Daniel Jones. And we'll come back with the growler bet for you and a run pass or boot and prediction, and we'll get out. So here is Dan Duggan, our 
colleague in New York covering the Giants. Dan, how you doing today? Doing great. How about yourself? All doing well. Looking forward to the holiday and looking forward to a uh, post-Joe Burrow world. Um, it, it, it's interesting with you guys, or not you guys, but with the Giants, that the Bengals, everything has turned. It's it's all the focus now among the fan base is is totally on 2021 in the draft. I, I wonder, covering a team in the NFC East, how weird is this to know you you at the end of the weekend you could be talking about and covering a first place team or a team positioned for a possible top five pick. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really wild. It's funny, you know, for the longest time, I've been on this beat for, this is my fifth season. So after 2016, when they made the playoffs every year around this time, you're starting to, you know, do the stuff you mentioned, you're looking ahead to the draft and, and all that. Um, you know, they're, they're three and seven. So you can't, you can't lose sight of that. But the fact that the division is, you know, just a complete dumpster fire this year, uh, they are very much alive. I mean, it's funny because you know, if you follow those sites like Tankathon and, and they update the draft, you know, every Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is. And the Giants are still closer to having the number one pick than to being, you know, up with the playoff contenders. But, hey, they always say the division games are the most important. And uh, they've certainly gotten a break this year with, with just a historically bad division. So um, it's kind of fun. You know, I mean, you have to keep in perspective, you know, where the team is at. But. Hey, one way or another, they're going to meaningful games in December, which, you know, those have been few and far between around here in recent years. You know, it's it's kind of weird to be talking about playoffs with, with a team like that. Like you mentioned, I, I'm wondering, when you look at that team, what what in your mind is the biggest reason they can win the division? And, and what's the biggest reason that they won't? I mean, the biggest reason is probably just the fact that every other team in the division <laughs> is, is just pretty bad and, and just as flawed. But no, and in all seriousness, I mean, I think they're playing the best of, of any team in the division. You know, I mean, obviously, it's I got to keep using the disclaimer that the three and seven, but really, since a week three blowout loss, you know, against an undermanned 49ers team at home, which made you say, kind of like, here we go again. You know, this team is, you know, still on, you know, square one of a rebuild. They've been in every game. And, you, you know, I hate to play the, oh, they could have this many wins because no one ever does that. No fan ever does that with the games. They, they squeaked out wins. Oh, those could have been losses. It's only, you know, we could have won the close games. But there's some validity to it. I mean, they took the Bucks right down to the wire on Monday Night Football. Um, they had a commanding lead against the Eagles a couple weeks ago, and, and Evan Engram had a drop that, you know, that legitimately would end the game. There really isn't much kind of what if there. It was a third down. If he catches it, they run out the clock and they win. Um, so the fact that they've been competitive in every game leads me to believe that they're trending in the right direction. You know, again, you have to convert those into wins. They've done that the last two weeks. Uh, the schedule stiffens up a bit you know, after the Bengals. No, uh, no disrespect to your, uh, to your listeners, but uh, certainly it jumps up a level after that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. But again, it just feels like they're sort of playing the best of any team in the division. And again, that doesn't say much when their you know, their competitors all have three wins also, um, but hey, you only got to you only got to win your division to get it you know get a seat at the dance and uh, and I think they're as well positioned as any team in the division to do so. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that San Francisco game because I, I I was going to bring that up. There, the, the parallels between the the Giants and, and Bengals go beyond just being a half game apart record wise. The Giants lose Saquon Barkley in Week Two. And I was wondering about the, the hangover effect from that, where we we saw in that game the emotion, um, the same that we saw from Burroughs teammates with guys coming over and, and wishing them well. And I guess you do see that a lot, but popular players that go down and did, did it feel like there was a, a bit of a hangover after, after losing their best player? You know, it's funny you said it. I would say no, really. I mean, and, and that's no, you know, disrespect to Saquon or anything. Obviously, he's a great player. But even after they lost him in the Bears game, you know, they came down and had a chance at the end of that game. They, they had a throw in the end zone uh, with, with, on the last play of the game where uh, if they caught a touchdown, they would have won the game. So it wasn't like they went in the tank that game after Saquon got hurt because he got hurt uh, first play of the second quarter, I believe. So it was early, uh, and they were down, and they came back. So, no, I, I didn't feel like that was a, a, a hangover type of fact. I think it's definitely different when you're talking about uh, franchise quarterback than a running back. Um, you know, they've had to play without Saquon last year for stretches. Um, and also, I mean, that 49ers game, 
the 49ers, you know, no one was giving the Giants any sympathy for injuries that week. The 49ers were bringing, you know, the, the taxi squad uh, for that game. They had, you know, so many guys hurt um, and prominent players. So, no, that 49ers game uh, just was a very sobering outcome. And, and sure, now you mentioned it, you maybe just not having Saquon during the week maybe it had an impact. But I think the fact that they battled back in that Bears game um, sort of didn't have you feeling like it was hopeless going into that 49ers game. And then to, to get their doors blown off, uh, like I said, it just sort of felt like they were at, you know, absolutely, you know, ground zero and they've slowly but steadily, you know, worked their way back. But I, I definitely think it's different when you're talking quarterback to running back, you know, as great a player as Saquon is. He, he didn't have the sort of transformative impact on, on a franchise's outlook as, as Burrow probably did in Cincinnati. Yeah, another parallel. You mentioned Burrow and, and, and Jones, Daniel Jones. Um, last year, Daniel Jones uh, hit the, the fifth most in the league in terms of hits per game, second most in the league. A lot of what we saw with Burrow getting beat up this year. Uh, have you seen any, you know, lingering effects from that? Does, does it does it feel like that has has stunted his growth at all? No, I mean, I think we always go back to uh, to the David Carr. Like, he's he's the poster boy for that, where he was just, you know, absolutely got abused and seemed like he never got his career on track. But, but no, I don't I don't think that that's really, um, you know, lingered for Jones this year. I mean, he doesn't have a great offensive line again, so that's that's more of the problem. It's not as if he's, he's in a clean pocket and flinching or anything like that. He's still kind of, um, you know, having to get the ball out quick and running for his life at times. But you know, I think that's the big thing. They need to improve the offensive line, but – you know, I, I think that stuff's a little overblown. I mean, I think Jones is a is a tough guy physically and a tough guy mentally. So, um, you know, I haven't seen it impact him. Of course, it goes year after year. I think you did see with Eli Manning actually late in his career where he really felt the pressure and, you know, he kind of self-sacked himself quite a few times when he when he felt uh, sort of any sort of rush coming in. Uh, but I think at this early stage in his career, I think Jones is, is pretty fearless, sort of for better or worse, because, you know, he makes some ill-advised plays when he probably should just, you know, take the sack. Um, and for what I know about Burrow, you obviously know a lot more. He seems like a pretty tough guy and, and um, you know, probably isn't going to let it get into his head. But again, it's just human nature. If you're just constantly ex- expecting pressure, you know, one and a half seconds, two seconds after you take the snap, at some point that is going to probably speed up your clock and, and make you maybe make bad decisions. Uh, but I haven't seen that be a, a drastic problem for Jones in year two. Does it feel like the verdict's in on him? I mean, 22 starts into his career. Do, do, do the Giants believe – are they, they firmly – in the corner of, of he is our guy, or is it is it still kind of a jury's out and maybe we see them flip him like we're seeing with Dwayne Haskins and Sam Darnold, maybe even Baker Mayfield, some of these these first-round picks that haven't quite played as well as people thought they would. Right, yeah, I don't think the verdict is in, certainly not in public opinion. I mean, it really kind of, um, you know, oscillates week to week. I mean, he had probably his worst game of his career in that Bucks game a couple weeks ago where, I, you know, I said they took him down to the wire, and really if, if he had just played a little better, they, they could have won that game. And then he probably had his best game of his career against the Eagles last week, and it might not be something if you look at the box score and, you know, he didn't have five touchdown passes, which he actually did have a couple of games like that as rookie year where he had big numbers, but he just really was efficient. Uh, and effective and, and won a big game. You know, they hadn't beaten Philly in forever, and, and he was really on point in that game and, and just kind of did everything they needed to, to come up with that win. But we haven't seen the consistency, really, in either level. It's not like, oh, he's definitely not the guy. Like, he definitely shows enough glimpses where if you're a believer, you can still see signs that, yeah, this guy could be a franchise quarterback. Um, but if you're a skeptic, you can see just as many signs the other way. I think from the Giants' perspective, especially if Dave Gettleman is back, I don't think there's any chance they move on. I mean, they just took this kid with the sixth pick in the draft a year ago. It hasn't been a disaster. He checks a ton of the boxes, you know, they want in terms of intangibles and leadership and all that. And and they have to be realistic. He doesn't have a great supporting cast. You know, we talked the offensive line's not that great. We talked Saquon's been out for most of the season. Receivers are, you know, average. Um, so I think that there's some understanding that it's not going to be perfect for him right now. And I think they're impressed by sort of his resiliency. And again, the way he bounced back from that bad Bucks game, I think the next six games, you know, will tell a lot, but I'd be very surprised unless it just the bottom falls out and they end up with a, you know, top four pick or something. Cause if they go five and 11, six and 10, and you say they don't make the playoffs at that record, um, you know, you're picking what ninth, 10th, something like that. I don't think they're going to take the fourth best quarterback in this class. You know, I think he basically kind of controls that destiny. If he gets enough wins, it's not a discussion because, you know, they won't be in position to take Trevor Lawrence or someone like that where it's a no-brainer. It, it gets a little dicier. I don't think that the fourth-best quarterback in this class is a slam-dunk upgrade and the Giants have enough holes elsewhere that I can't imagine to be, you know, 
desperate to move on from him and, and draft somebody else and you know start over again. Yeah, one guy. I want to leave you with this one. Um, a guy that people in Cincinnati know well. This will be a homecoming of, of sorts for him. Kevin Zeitler. You mentioned the the how, how I don't know suspect. I guess would be the word that the offensive line is for the Giants. How is Kevin Zeitler played? I know a lot of Bengals fans probably wish he was still here based on what happened to Burrow on Sunday. Yeah, he. I mean, he's been the most solid. He's been, you know, pretty much exactly what they expected when they, you know, traded for him from Cleveland a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he's not a Pro Bowl guy, but he's just like that next tier below. Uh, very reliable. He maybe starting to lose a step. You know, he's getting up there, and um, I, I assume he'll be back for this game. He suffered a concussion before the buys. So we, have, we haven't had any practice reports or anything like that yet. So we'll find out on Wednesday, you know, where he's at. But um, he's he's an Iron Man. It's actually you know surprising to see him come off the field. Uh, obviously concussions out of his hands, but I, I would expect he'll probably be back. But yeah, he's just been a very solid, steady guy. It's a very young offensive line around him. So, so he's sort of the one guy they can rely on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I know Cincinnati, you know, they've had some offensive line problems. I'm sure they would like to have Zeitler still there because uh, as shaky as the Giants offensive line been, he's been the one guy who has been pretty dependable in his two seasons here. Well, maybe you gave Bagel fans a little sliver of hope. I mean, it's sky is falling in Cincinnati, but the uh, the, the pass rush is something that they definitely need to get going, and, and maybe playing a, a Giants offensive line like that might be just the, the recipe they need. Yeah, well, I mean, the Giants offensive line certainly has some question marks after uh, firing the old line coach during the bye week, so it'll be very – I mean, it's funny. On the flip side, if you're a Giants uh, you know, fan or coach or whatever, like – the Bengals defensive line might be just what the doctor ordered for them. <laughs> you know, right, it's, exactly. It's, it's, something, something's got to give in that matchup. All right. Well, hey, hey, Dan, I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the podcast with us today. And uh, it, it, you're not coming in on Sunday, are you? No, unfortunately, yeah. I would not be making the trip. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thank you again for taking the time. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jay. All right, much thanks to Dan. Good to catch up with him and hear the New York side of things as they come into town, led by Daniel Jones. Um, all right. Bengals growler bet time. People are mad at me from last week. They thought I was a little harsh, a little sadistic. Did anybody come close? No, no. Two hundred two was a pretty low number. Number for is a number low number. Having to hit them both, there there was nothing. No. So, so we're back, and I, I don't feel like this is as sadistic as the last one, but I'm still. I'm not in the giving Christmas season yet, okay? Happy holidays, happy Thanksgiving. Doesn't mean I'm just going to have a handout for you, okay? But here's what I do have. You can send your one submission to me, pdaner at theathletic.com. Make sure you put the word growler in the subject header. Or on Twitter, you can hit us up, hashtag Bengals Growler Bet. If you don't do either of those... There's no shot that we're going to for sure see it because that's how we search. One submission. This week, you got you got the, the Daniel Jones-Brandon Allen matchup here. Two, two scuffling squads. Time of game of first turnover. Time of game of first turnover. That is the time of the play. So in the game book, there is a time associated with the start of every single play. That is the time we are looking for. That play that ends in a turnover for the first time in the first turnover of the game. That is our Bengals growler bet this week. You've got to get within five seconds. You got to get within five seconds of the first turnover of the game. Jay, do you have a guess? Yeah, first of all, if if there if multiple people get within five seconds, we're only giving away one growler. So then <laughs> then it comes down then it comes down to who's closest. But just just to the baseline to be eligible, you got to be within five seconds. And um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it matches the date. I'm gonna go 11:29 first quarter. Just right <laughs> off the bat, someone's someone's coughing it up. Yeah, it does feel like a like a, a strip sack is is in play right off the jump somewhere. You know, um, I'm gonna say you know what. Sometimes these we do these because we feel like it's gonna happen early and it surprises us. So I'm gonna say 
132 second quarter. 132 second quarter in losing time. We're going to see something happen. That's that's my uh that's my guess. But you send yours. Zero is not an option. Sorry, thanks for playing. I know you think that's the easy way out. Maybe by some miracle these teams will manage to go without any turnovers. It could happen. It's far more likely than within five seconds. That's why zero is not an option. Ah, Sorry. Not sorry. These are the rules of the game. We make them up as we go along. Uh, Also, yeah, just remember to send in your bets. Run pass or boot time. Run pass or boot, Jay. You kind of alluded to this in the whip around, which is up. Run pass or boot what will be higher. The rest of the year, Bengals wins, Steelers losses, Finley starts. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I'm booting Finley starts. I just, I don't, and I mean, a Brandon could get hurt, but. Or be so bad, they're like, no, let's, let's just go to Finn. Let's give Finn that, a shot. <laughs> he would have to be pretty bad for that. I mean, hey, <laughs> Dalton came back after three games last year. Brandon Allen doesn't exactly have a track record of success. Yeah, but they didn't bench Dalton because of his play specifically. It was more a matter of, hey, they let's, let's see what we have in this guy. Well, you're right. Yeah, they benched Finley because he was bad. But Yeah, I mean, they'll pull a trigger on a quarterback now. I'm still booting Finley starts. Um, the other one, it's a tough question. Um, I, I'll, I'll do it. I'll say Bengals wins. I think they can get at least two, and I'm not sure the Steelers are going to lose two. So I'll run with Bengals wins, pass on Steelers losses, and boot Finley starts. I'm going to pass on Finley starts, and I'm gonna I'm gonna boot Steelers losses. I also don't think Steelers are going to lose very often, and I'll I guess I'll run with the Bengals. I don't know. It's all it's all one or two. I think it's all <laughs> one or two in my mind. Uh, you know what? No, I switch it. Steelers losses going into the run category. I'm saying Steelers lose two to three times. That's what I'm going with. I mean, they could have the number one seed wrapped up right. going into week 17 at Cleveland, and they could just rest everybody. And Yeah, and there's, there's still going to be a few tough games on their schedule, so I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, all right, prediction for Sunday is if anybody cares. Uh, what do you got, Jay? All right, I'm going to go Giants 23-21. Oh, you're saying it's going to be close. I do think it'll be close. I think the Bengals cover. I almost I would like to see what the what the the betting is right now, that split cuz I am a big fan of fading the public. I, I thought the the biggest lock last week was taking the the Broncos over the Dolphins cuz 90% of the public was on the Dolphins and that that never works out well when that's the case and I, I imagine a lot of people even though the I think the spread's gone up to 6. It started at 4 and it's at 6 now. I still bet a lot of people are jumping on on the Giants, and it's just, I don't know. It feels like this could be a game where the Bengals kind of, I don't know how much they're paying attention to that that story beyond us asking them about it, but there's definitely that rallying aspect after the Burrow injury. They didn't do it in the immediate aftermath in Washington, but I could see it being something that's in play this week against the Giants, and they they're at home. We pissed off that they can't have Thanksgiving with their families. I just I, <laughs> it wouldn't even surprise me to see them win, but I can't pick a win. I'm, I'll say twenty three twenty one Giants. Uh, I'll say uh, Giants win twenty to twelve. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> is that is uh, that four Randy kicks or two Randy miss kicks? That's Randy on fire. Randy on fire, just just dropping bombs. All four field goals over fifty yards from Randy. Oh my god. <laughs> Do any hit the upright and go in? Yeah, yeah, multiple. One of them hits it three times. <laughs> Two uprights and a crossbar. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just think it's going to be kind of a scuffling, ugly tilt, some bad red zone. Um, Bengals offense doesn't quite get it together enough. Giants win twenty twelve is my prediction. All right, that wraps it up. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Growler. Again, want to remind everybody you can get that deal starting on Black Friday, $1 per month for the next 12 months. We'll have that running through the weekend, so get on it now. I don't know how long it's going to last Black Friday. Uh, get in on that right now. Also, 
Um, we'll be back with the walkout after Sunday's games. Make sure you tune back in for that as well. And I hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving. No matter who you're able to celebrate it with or not celebrate it with, uh, I, I hope uh, everybody is, is is with those that they care about. So have a safe, happy, healthy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you on Sunday. Have a good one, everybody.